The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Podshock Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode is also brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash podshock. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode is also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch, now available in the iTunes App Store. Doctor Who Podshock. Okay, well, let's do it now. I Whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah, we blew that. <laughs> I'm the Doctor, and who are you? And who are you? What's wrong? Bad wounded. You're a dead man, McGraw. Same as all the others. Oh, save ourselves. We're shocked by every single one of us. What's that? Yo ho ho! Or does nobody actually say that? I'm the Doctor. This is Amy, Rory. We're sailors! Same as you! Except for the gun thing and the beardiness. You're stowaways. What are we doing them? Oh, I think they deserve our hospitality. <laughs> I suppose laughing like that is in the job description. Can you do the laugh? Check. Grab yourself a parrot. Take the doxy below. Yeah. Hey, listen, right? She's not a doxy. <clears throat> a demon out there in the ocean. OK, groovy. So not just pirates today. We've managed to bag your shit where there's a demon popping in. You are so beautiful. Oh. Love your get-up. You should cuddle me, shit, mate. Maurice. Look at these brilliant pirates. Look at their brilliant beards. I'd like a beard. Grow a beard. You're not. Oh my god. What is that thing? A siren. <laughs> Many a merchant ship laden with treasure has fallen prey to her. Okay, we're safe down here. No curse is getting through three solid inches of timber. <laughs> ah. Hello again. How did she get in? Bilge water. She's using water like a port. We need to go somewhere with no water. The magazine. Dry as a bone. Oh, the key is gone, Captain. How could it have gone? Careful of that lantern. <coughs> you fool! You fool, boy. Who is he? He's my son. What in God's name possessed you, boy? I've come to join your crew. I don't want you here. It's too late. We're 100 miles from home. It's dangerous here. There is a monster aboard. She leaves a mark on men's skin. The black spot? There's nothing wrong with the boy. He has no scars. It's not just blood. She's coming for all the sick and wounded. Like a hunter chooses its weakest animal. My ship, it can set us all away from here. You and me, we fetch it. Let's go. You're not the captain here, remember. Live from sailing under the black flag in the high seas, it's Doctor Who, Pachak. And that's normally inserted before the theme. I jumped the gun on the theme a bit. It's that whole pirate matey theme, uh, blood, uh, blood going through my veins right now. Is uh, Anyway, so we're here and we're here to review The Curse of the Black Spot. But let me introduce you to who we are here with and... Uh, joining me as, oh, well, many times here on our live show is Dave Cooper, Dave A.C. Cooper. Hello, Dave, across the pond. Yeah, I've told you before, Lewis, you shouldn't do podcasts with your eye patch on. Take it <laughs> off, you'll see a lot better. <laughs> I, I kind of switch them back and forth so I can find the hidden treasures. And uh, speaking of hidden treasures, we, um, he, he has agreed to help us out for the first hour. So, uh, you know, unless Ken and James pop up later on, but we'll have him on, is a um, longtime friend and advocate of the show, Taras Natitian. 
Well, he's exactly the chap you want to guide us by the stars. He can navigate. This is true. This is very... I wear a tricorn now. Tricorns are cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, hello, Tarasa. I'm glad to have you back on the show. It's good to hear you. Hello, hello. Uh, sextant in one hand and a telescope in the other. <laughs> How are you doing? I won't tell you where the cutlass is. <laughs> <laughs> well, put the cutlass away. It might cut you. We wouldn't want that. Well, just before uh, we begin our review, I just want to remind everyone. Well, first of all, obviously, I want to remind everyone about spoilers, since we are going to be reviewing The Curse of the Black Spot in this episode. This is episode uh, 245 of Doctor Who Podshock. So uh, we will be... spoilers forbidden now? Uh, no, not in our review. We're, as long as we give fair, we're giving fair warning. And if you're listening to this, we're assuming you've you you viewed the episode, The Curse of the Black Spot. And if you haven't viewed the episode, The Curse of the Black Spot, then uh, whatever spoilers you know you get and any spoilery you know spoilery stuff that comes you know between your well, ears, we, we make them walk the plank. They haven't seen the episode. They walk the plank. That's right. So there you um, go. so yeah, it's um. Spoilers can be abound, just like hidden treasures and whatnot. I also want to remind everyone that next week, well, we, we are recording next Sunday again. We, uh, we're reviewing next week's episode, which is the Something Flesh, the... Um, um, the Rebel Flesh. The Rebel Flesh, thank you. But it's the part one of a two-parter. So, well, we'll unfortunately, we'll, we'll need to... Um, I, I say unfortunately because I always hate reviewing half an episode like that, half a story. So... Um, but the day before is what I wanted to bring attention to. The day before, on the twenty-first, which um, some some are calling the end of the world, but we're, we're calling it our seasonal get together on Second Life, where we come together every, as the name implies, every season. This time it's spring, and we're getting together for our party and meet up on Second Life. So if you want to join us, it's it's free to attend. It's uh, you, you. There's no. Um, you don't need well once you go there you can get on the TARDIS but you don't need any trains or TARDISes or uh, they might you might well I don't want to get ahead of ourselves but I can we, next episode we'll tell you where you can find it perhaps a spare TARDIS but um, yeah you can join us it's starting at well let's see it's I think it's 1 p.m. second lifetime which is Pacific time in the U.S. so on the it, east east coast it's about 9 p.m. I think here in the, in the UK. UK and I think it's 4 p.m. here on the east coast so uh, you can join us uh, I'm waiting for a confirmation from Victor uh, Victor helps us out there he's one of the owners of the Doctor Who well, it used to be the Doctor Who experience. Now I think it's the Doctor Who exhibition, if I'm not mistaken. It's in the land of Katrina yes, on Second Life. Yes, because, because of the new experience yeah. opening up in London. To avoid confusion. To the name clash. To avoid confusion with the First Life um, establishment. So, um, so yeah, we're going to be uh, joining people once again. If everyone's welcome to attend. All you need to do is get the free client and... Um, and, and join us. But there's more details instead of me using a lot of time here explaining about it. Just go to our website, pachak.net or gallifrenemacy.org, and you'll find information on it on our front page. So that's uh, next week, Saturday. And also, if you are attending, I know some people will have seen the Rebel Flesh and some will have not. So it's a that will be a spoiler-free zone as far as, um, you know, that episode is concerned. You know, we, we, we can talk about anything else but that episode only because some people would not have seen that episode at that time at you know when we get together okay so um let's get to do, um the curse of the black spot which is uh, what we're reviewing here it's a it was directed by jeremy webb and written by steve thompson Obviously, uh, some of the cast members here is Hugh Bonneville uh, plays Henry Avery, Oscar Lloyd as his son, Toby Avery. And then uh, Lily Cole plays the siren, who is um, supposedly is a, a model in the UK. Maybe, Dave, you can fill me in on that. I, I, well, I don't really follow models in the US, let alone the UK. So I must admit, I didn't know much better, but she, is a, she also has a, a singing career as well. I oh. think she started out as a model. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, very appropriate, I thought. She looked, she had the real look for the part. Definitely, definitely. She had an exotic, you know, look to her. She could almost, you know, just that. The, the, her. And the lighting didn't hurt that look. Yeah, yeah. 
So essentially, she plays a an emergency medical program, something like right out of Star Trek. <laughs> so it's uh, it's interesting. Some have um, drawn parallels to this to this story to the Empty Child, and I can see that you know to some extent, you know. But it it, it is different, you know. It, it's it, it's it, there's some parallels there in hindsight. I kind of enjoyed it. One parallel was sorry. I thought one parallel was to the horror of Frank, horror of Fang Rock. Yeah, basically, well, the, you know, if you think of the where the lighthouse is as the ship, and the and the creature attacking the people there. Well, I, I thought it also had a classic feel to it in in a sense uh, that it was similar to Enlightenment. You know, obviously, it's not. Um, enlightenment the, the, was a, a different, you know, where they find themselves on ships. But the thing is that things aren't always what you think. And I think, you know, that element was a prevailing factor in this story as well, where uh, later on, as the story progresses, more and more is revealed. And then, uh, you know, you realize what's going, what's actually going on. So that, that kind of reminded me of enlightenment as well. Speaking about trying to figure out what was going on, that's what the doctor was doing in this story, where he's trying to work it out. And it's interesting, you know, seeing that seeing that explored where all his theories turn out not to be exactly right. So it's, um, I, you know, they, they, they played on that a bit. But overall, I mean, I, as I was about to say before, I, I enjoyed it many times. I don't know why, but there's um, sometimes on the second viewing not that I go in with a lot of expectations. So, um, you know, sometimes when you view things on the second time, you can appreciate it more only because uh, you, you have um, different, your, your expectations are more in tune to what you've already seen already. So um, perhaps that's it. I don't know. But I, I sort of went in with this without any expectations. In fact, I didn't even see the, the prequel until after it. So for me, the prequel was actually a real prequel this time because I saw it after the, the proper episode. <laughs> <laughs> we can skip ahead to um, we find out later that the the siren that's been uh, the curse to this crew turns out to be, as we said before, an emergency medical. Well, I don't know if it's an emergency, but it was a, a medical program uh, similar to the what we've seen in Star Trek. And, and, and again, to um, those things in the empty child as well, those um, medical and and also similar to the hologram in the lodger. Yes, yeah. If we can go just skip through some little nitpicks on it um that I had was um was uh when they are transported in when they finally figure out what well when they figure out when the doctor figures out that they're not actually dying that they're actually being transported somewhere and they agree to get transported by having you know cutting themselves and having the siren touch them they're um they're transported into this other universe that, that that's sort of stuck in the same place that our universe is uh, or our dimension is or, or but anyway why aren't they transported directly into sick bay like all the other patients? They were sort of like just dropped on the floor. Well, we don't really know where the other patients were transported to. No, we don't. We never really see that but, on screen. But we would assume, you know, <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if you, you would assume, you know, if an ambulance picks you up and brings you to the hospital, they're not just going to dump you in the parking lot. <laughs> Well, sometimes they do. <laughs> so, um, and uh, the, the the sick bay. I should make comment that it it does re it had some. It did remind me of the movie Comer. If you ever seen the movie Comer from, I oh, think it yes. was the, the, the late seventies, if I'm not mistaken, that yeah. movie came is, is came out during that time. They had uh, they had float. They weren't in beds, but they were. I think those bodies in in that movie were wired up and hanging from the ceiling. If I remember correctly, it's been yeah. a, a couple decades well, since this, I've seen this that. This has been used in Doctor Who before in the Daleks in Manhattan two parter as well. The uh, body but, hanging from uh, mm -hmm. the ceiling. Oh yeah, well remembered. And the the other thing would be the 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 other little nugget that that you know didn't make sense to me is that why would Rory still be drowning? I mean, obviously, he. I mean, again, we're getting very analytical. I am getting analytical here. He he's talking, so he obviously doesn't have water in his lungs anymore. It, it, it just um, and and then why when they did rest when they did disconnect him and and they 
bring him into the TARDIS before they, Amy tries to re- uh, resurrect him or tries to resuscitate him, rather. Why not just do it right there on the floor? <laughs> You're wasting valuable time dragging him into the TARDIS. It didn't really make sense to bring him into the TARDIS. Right. Well, I, th- I, th- I suppose it was because basically it was a practical thing that that set they had lots of extras on and that there were, probably wasn't time to shoot that scene. So they did that later on a different set because um, they wanted to get all the sort of crowd scenes done. And I assume the other thing is that Rory could talk at that point because the, the machine was doing the reading for him. So that allowed him to speak, even though, although he didn't seem to cough up a lot of water, I must admit. Um, the, uh, but I think it may well have just been practical aspects of the, the, the filming that dictated how that was done. But you must admit, yeah, and, and, and there's been lots of things on the internet rife about the way that they'd use CPR. Um, but uh, I think Ian Six Doctor on our show had said that, uh, you, you know, uh, I imagine even being Mike, that you, you can't actually do real CPR on screen. You'd crack the people's ribs. So you've always got to, um, you yeah. can't actually do it in a very clean way anyway. I, again, you know, you have to take some artistic license, and this is just me kind of, you know, <laughs> you know, nitpicking and, and, you know, I figured let me get this out of the way first. There's a lot of um, good things going on in this episode. I, I thought it was technically done well, the the lighting and the direction. And uh, I think uh, Murray Gold's music is very interesting this year so far, his direction that he's taking. Uh, I think it works very well in this episode. And I, as I said, the story... You know, we just came, you know, from two episodes before this, which was very uh, dramatic, very, uh, you know, uh, intense. And I think that was deliberate to start off the new series, the, the new season in, in that way. And I think this is, um, takes a little pause and um, it's it's not as, you know, on the edge of your seat type of, um, you know, storytelling. But it's it's still, you know, it's fun. And as I said, I, I enjoyed it uh more so on the second time around than than on the first. And, and though this was a an episode that had quite a good amount of uh, location shooting, the way that they shot it, it kind of like had the studio bound feel to it because they had draped the uh, yeah the, the area in, in in black, so you couldn't see any of the port, which would have been an anachronism in the port that they filmed, I, I think, where was it, in Southampton, or where was that filmed, I forget? Yeah, um, it was the um, the bay, wasn't it? Um, ooh. We should explain for those that may not, may not know the much of the boat the deck scenes on top of the ship were actually done on on a real ship, you know, docked in a bay, but not, not out in the sea. But it's um, I, I thought maybe when the if you saw the prequel, you'll you'll see the ship floating out in the sea. But in this episode, the movie the the episode starts with um, them in a, like a rowboat, I think, going to um, to the ship. And there's really no establishing establishing shot of the ship itself, so you really don't get the size of you don't get this um, the sense of the size of the ship, the scale of the ship, until later well, on in the episode. Was there a shot with a, a lifeboat uh, approaching the ship? Well, they also show it in Becalmed uh, uh, one spot as well later on in the show. Yeah, they show it later on, but it's just in the beginning of the story. I, I, th- I thought in the pre-credits sequence they had the lifeboat uh, approaching. They had uh, something approaching, but you don't really see the whole ship to my... If uh, I need, Maybe I need to rewatch it again. I didn't think you saw the whole ship it's initially. It's just the prow of it, yeah. It's just a little point that just to uh, just to get the sense of how big the ship is, because then once you you see the deck, you're basically in just one area, like the midsection of the ship, and you don't really. Um, yeah, it's possible that they couldn't have gotten the whole ship in one shot w- without uh, having a lot of the port that then you would need to CGI out, and that just would. Well, they they do show it later on in the episode, even if they had just reused that same take, whatever, just to. But then again, I think that maybe the lighting might have been different or whatever. I, I again, just this isn't any deal breakers or anything like that. It's just, um, <laughs> it's just talking. So, uh, what what did you two think of it as far as um, the the story as a whole? Well, should I go first? Sure. Go ahead. 
Right. Well, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, really well done. I always appreciate it um, when, they, like as, as Taras said, that you know they, they had actually done it uh, on this boat and they did it as a night shoot, maybe for the practical reason to hide the surrounding areas. But I always think when they, they do a night shoot for night scenes, it always makes it seem that much more realistic. Uh, and so it, it was a uh, really good. I mean, Amy in a, 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 a pirate hat and coat was rather good. Although it was rather amazing that she had time to go and change into it when the doctor was in peril. Um, but I, I did like the whole thing. Uh, a couple of things. Um, the actor who played the pirate, Hen, uh, Henry Avey, uh, played by Hugh Bonneville, certainly did an excellent job with that. Yes. I remember yeah. him from a... Um, a series in the UK called Lost in Austin, which was a sort of fantasy take on Jane Austen, uh, which I really enjoyed. Uh, the character is playing Henry Avery, Avery is referenced in um, The Smugglers from 1966, and I'm reading this from Wiki, so it's not me being clever, um, that they talk about searching for Avery's treasure. Uh, and of course he was an actual real character, uh, a legitimate sailor who turn rogue as it was and went uh, became a, a merchant uh, man you know working for profit and so on so, so uh, there is just a legitimacy to the story yeah so what you're saying is that that it's it's based on a, a true historical figure well no well yes and it's sort of pseudo yeah uh, but 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 it just gives a little bit of uh, credence to the idea because some people have said that they seemed a bit upstanding for pirates um, and uh, that was why he was actually previously a gentleman who'd, uh, who'd gone rogue or whatever. And that plays very nicely into the part where he, he has the ultimate sacrifice, as he thinks, later on, because his greed, he can't uh, give away the main part of the treasure, which is the crown with all the jewel-encrusted crown. He, he can't bring himself to part with that. And when his son goes to get his compass, and that is released onto the deck... It signals the death of his son. Um, I quite like the, the effects that were used to actually uh, both bring the siren into being, uh, all the wire work that the girl must have done. I like the way that they sort of, um, if you'll excuse the expression, poofed them out of existence. Uh, <laughs> it looks sort of a bit like, the if anybody's seen the latest Harry Potter film, it looks a bit like those wraiths that you see in there, sort of a, a black smoke yeah. thing, mm -hmm. uh, which was really good. Uh, it was a change that the Doctor was forever, you know, revising his theory to the point where we, we hear Amy say, um, oh, we've given up listening. I don't know why they're bothering, really. <laughs> um, there was a, a major hole, of course, um, by the way, the boatswain, Boat Swain, who was played by Lee Ross, and some people may remember Lee Ross if they watched um, Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes. He played um, one of the um, the sergeants in that, and I'm grasping for his name at the moment. Um, thought I had it written down somewhere. Um, Lytton, he played. Oh Lytton yeah, in, yeah. Uh, uh, so that that was nice. But we didn't actually see him disappear. I don't know whether through the editing procedure somewhere uh, it got lost. I mean, you don't actually have to see everybody disappear. Indeed, the man who went off with the two guns, all we basically saw was his hat fall to the ground. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have to CGI his disappearance. But we never found out the boats when he just suddenly appeared in one of the last scenes with the um, the um, the pirates at the end. One of the points I'd made uh, in our show last week was the fact that, um, although some people criticised the fact that how would this captain know how to uh, pilot this starship later when they're, they're going off to the Dog Star, aware of it was, um, it reminded me of a Star Trek Enterprise episode where they had Moriarty, uh, and mm -hmm. he was not the real, obviously Moriarty's a fictional character anyway, but a person that it's like a hologram, right? was a historic character, yet he managed to control the TARDIS from the, um, the, uh, the you know, from the, the holodeck. Yeah. Yeah, the I think it was Star Trek, yeah. The Next Generation. Well, not the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Enterprise from the holodeck, so that was that. Um, I thought the, the Lily Cole character was excellent in her portrayal, and that all worked very well. Uh, I thought it was a good episode for Amy uh, and Rory yet again. 
Um, there was one other thing that, that I wonder whether will come into play later on. Uh, apart from the fact that we had the eye patch lady appearing to yeah. Amy when mm-hmm. her and Rory were lying down, but there was like this sort of um, diagram painted on the ship. When I first a yellow one on the forecastle or something, at first when I saw it, I thought it might be sort of like um, you know a compass. But a compass has eight points, and I don't think it was a, a, a five-sided one. I wondered whether that might be a hint to something that's coming. Um, but it was definitely um, a sort of a freestanding episode. It was very free and easy to watch. I enjoyed it more on the second viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, what's not to like, as I say, about Amy, even though it wasn't a complete uniform, it, 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 she looked very fetching in that hat. And um, overall, um, I thought it was um, quite a... I mean, it was enjoyable on an easy level, if you know what I mean. It was one you could actually yeah. enjoy and relax. You're not... You're not, you're not watching for every signal or a bit of dialogue just in case you might miss something. You, you just, I, well, I certainly just went with the flow of it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it was brought about when at the beginning, you know, there's the throwaway line that we got your signal. And then, of course, when they do get transported towards this interlock ship in different phase of time or whatever, the actual klaxon was going off in there. So it was the secondary ship that had alerted them. And one last thing, there was that... Uh, well, actually, it was edited rather fully because they, they went into what was obviously the cockpit of this ship and we see, the f- we see their reaction to what appears to be the front of this creature, you know, with the horror of this face. But in actual fact, of course, when they go in, they go in and see the back of it. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it was rather nice. It was an unnamed race. And uh, poor, poor, poor Amy, when the do- doctor right, wipes all that gunge on her, Oh, that was rather funny. And there were actually quite a lot alien of funny lines. Yeah, yeah. Alien there was quite a lot of funny lines in it. And, well, uh, it made me overall, think... Overall, I think it was enjoyable. Because they, they, were, they had mentioned that they explained that they, they died because, uh, I don't know if it was uh, some sort of human virus or earth virus or bacteria or whatever that killed them. But meanwhile, they're sticking their hands in, the, in their gook and whatever. And, and it made me wonder if, um, you know, part of the, the Time Lord's gift or the TARDIS gift is uh, translating different languages, if that also protects them from, you know, various different um, viruses and whatever that you would encounter in different worlds and that they encounter. So I, I wonder if that's part of the gift of traveling in the TARDIS. Only yeah. when it's needed for script purposes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Until someone or needs to be of- sick. <laughs> Yeah, and one last thing. I, I don't hope. I hope we don't have a spin-off series of pirates in space. But I'm sure that Taras has got a lot to say. Well, it, the way that that final scene with the pirates all looking off into the distance was shot, it kind of looked like we may see them again sometime. Maybe. Right, and I take it they were factually correct. It is a binary star. You never know. Maybe we will. Yeah, the, the the second star is a dwarf, though, so it would be a lot dimmer than uh, than the main star. Right. But that's artistic license. So uh, overall, what did you think of the of of the episode, Taras? Oh, I thought this was a, a very fun episode. It was. Uh, Quite different in tone from the uh, the season opener, which mm-hmm. uh, came as a welcome uh, change of pace for the way the season was going. Uh, it kind of like uh, had an interesting way of bringing the the Doctor and uh, the TARDIS crew into the story, and I loved uh, the way Amy was involved in this story, where she's actually taking charge and swashbuckling, and it's funny to see the the scared reactions of the crew where they knew what was going on with the siren and Amy's like bemused as far as how these people are reacting to to minor cuts, which the crew knew that uh, it meant the sirens coming for them, but the TARDIS crew did not know that. Oh, and just to correct myself from earlier, Darth corrected me that uh, 
it wasn't Southampton, but Cornwall. I was listening to a podcast earlier today, and Southampton was mentioned, so that was on my mind. But another thing about this episode is it took a literary device from Treasure Island, the Black Spot. So that that was pretty interesting. And it was a nice twist that it was actually a tissue sample, wasn't it? Yes. As opposed to uh, a verdict, of, or you could kind of think of it as a verdict that the person is sick and needs to, to go to the sick bay, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But uh, oh. one of the interesting things is that there's some parallels between this story and the Stones of Blood, if you recall, where you had that uh, ship with the, uh, the justice machines or whatever they were. Right. Yes. Yes, I think uh, Radio Free Scarrow were mentioning that link. Uh, it might have been uh, Happiness Patrol. Certainly, uh, it's one that's been picked up. Well, one thing, if I just while you pause, um, the other thing is when um, when the young boy uh, appeared to be killed, that was when I think a lot of people thought, well, this looks a bit odd for what is a family show. And, of course, uh, I thought one of the clues was that one of the crew members, played by Michael Bagley, I think, was called Mulligan uh, in golfing terms. And Mulligan is a, a second go, a second chance. A do-over. So, yeah, do-over, which uh, I don't know whether that was a, an in-in joke by the, the, the writer in terms of using that. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I, th- I think the first time watching it when that happened, when when you see Toby um, taken, that's when I realized, well, they're not really dying. They're, they're, something else is going on here because you know that just they weren't just going to kill a, a child like that in Doctor Who outright. So yeah, yet another, yeah, yeah, yet another good child actor again. I think uh, what with the the young girl they had playing in the first two parts and this, the, whoever it is, the casting director for. Uh, dot two, they're usually spot on with uh, with their casting. So, shout out to them. Yeah, definitely. He's uh, was um, he just his uh, facial structure reminded me a, a bit of Jake Lloyd, but this is a, a different Lloyd. Was, um, as I as I said in the beginning of the show, it's was Oscar Lloyd. Okay. Now the the stowing away of uh, of Toby kind of uh, was a little uh, far fetched as far as uh, something like this would go. Yeah, because he was there for a while. That, uh, yeah, you 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 figured they were out in the out to sea for a while now, and he right. only just got discovered, you know, at this time. Right. Yeah, it, it's very hard to hide on a vessel like that. For a very long time. Yeah, because as big as it is, it's not that big. <laughs> it's, it's not like the Titanic or... <laughs> but I've also heard some grumblings from some people about there being children in almost every episode of Doctor Who now, but I don't see anything wrong with that, in that they are children in everyday life, so why not? And it wasn't uncommon as well for young uh, naval people to start in the Navy, age 12, I think, uh, around that time in history. So, I mean, one of the reasons why he could as easily got onto the boat as well, if he got on at the dock, obviously, is, uh, you know, if he, if he put on a you know cabin boy's outfit, it, nobody would be surprised seeing somebody of that age walking up onto the ship. Right. All right. Well, what more, Taurus? I thought this episode was a lot of fun, and it looked like it seemed like a lot of fun to uh, at least the the British public because they gave it a high AI rating. So it looks like it was popular all around. And uh, I think maybe we should, uh, since we're running close to... What is it, quarter of? Maybe we should start bringing some of the callers in. Yeah, I know. I was just going to take a break, and then we were going to bring in our live 
feedback callers. I should remind everyone to call in. It's 724-444-7444. That's uh, three fours after that seven. There's a lot of fours in this uh, talk show number. So again, that's 724-444-7444. And our call ID number, which you'll need to, uh, to, you know, to identify which show you're calling into is 23358. So if you're listening now and you want to call in, uh, that's the number to call. And we're going to, uh, and as always, um, we're going to uh, give priority to uh, Podshock supporting subscribers. So uh, if you are already a um, subscriber, and I, I know someone in the queue here, Kobe, has uh, indicated that he is or she is, I'm not sure, is one. Just uh, since if you're using a name that I, I, I wouldn't know as being one, just email me at, um, you can email me at lewis at org with your email address that you use to sign up as a supporting subscriber. So I, I know it's you. We're going to play a clip and we'll be back with our live callers. As opposed to dead callers, which won't be good. <laughs> Sick, you have to take full responsibility. I was drowning, you just have to resuscitate. Oh, just. You've seen them do it loads of times in films. CPR, the kiss of life. Rory, this isn't a film, okay? What if I do it wrong? You won't. Come on, Rory, not here, not this way. Not today. David. You still can, you can still do this. He believes in you. Come on, Amy. <laughs> I was an excellent pirate. I thought you were an excellent nurse. Easy, tiger. Good night, doctor. Good night, Amelia. You only call me Amelia when you're worrying about me. I always worry about you. You can't tell him. It's his future. I know. All right, we're going to bring in some live feedback so we can get your take on this episode. And once again, as I was saying before, Podshock supporting subscribers will get uh, bumped up in the queue there. Remember, this live show over the net is made possible by, in part by Podshock supporting subscribers. And it's the only way we can bring you this show with your support and from our listeners. So uh, we are always tremendously grateful for that support. And um, so if you want to learn more about how to become a Podshock supporting subscriber, simply go to our website podshock.net or gallifrembassy.org and you can um, click on the top there there's a banner there that will give you information and details on becoming a podshock supporting subscriber and as always a, a big thank you if you are already one and as i said before if you are one and you're you're in the queue and i i don't know that you're one please uh email me or your the email that you use to sign up so that i know you are one all right, so I think one, uh, I think mystery presenter is uh, in the queue there. He's uh, first in the queue anyway, but he's also a supporter. So we're going to get him on board and his take on the curse of the black spot. Mystery presenter, are you there? Um, yeah. Can you? Hear? Welcome back. It's good to have you back on the show. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, once you have to say about sets, so I found it a bit fun, like with the pirate thing, and the doctor like going, like when he's on the game plan. It's like it laugh. Both child <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was um, part of the, the fun and greeting of this episode was um, also when he uh, burst onto the scene out of the um, the bulkhead, the, the lower bulkhead, and they open it up and he's like, yo, ho, ho. Yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I suppose you guys don't really say yeah. that. Um, also, that scene, it was probably a bit tight with the tree of them looking up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the amount of space. Yeah. Um, also, the other thing about um, the captain like knowing how to fly the ship he says um, that one ship is just like all the rest once you know how to control one um, yeah it, you know how to fly, use it. it it's sort of like a you know that's just when yeah it was, should just point me to the accelerator or something that I forgot the terminology the astrolabe the sextant what was that Taras? He, he also identified Things that look to him like an astrolabe or a sextant. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Basically yeah. saying, you know, a ship is a ship, you know, and just point me to the steering wheel, whatever you might want to call it, you know, and, you know, how to control the sails, and he knows how to do it. It's kind of like the way Shakespeare was able to deal with words in a more modern way than we would have expected to. So... Avery's kind of presented as that class of uh, historical figure that kind of transcends. He would probably be somebody for whom the psychic paper would not have worked, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, these are bits of light is when the doctor tells the captain that he lies about his ship being bigger than the captain's. Like where the doctor's saying the captain's ship was much bigger than his. Yeah, to, yeah. They went into the TARDIS. And it, it's interesting because then once he is in the TARDIS, he says, uh, you, know, you know, I lied. And, this, you know, obviously pointing out that the sh his ship is yeah. actually bigger. And then he uh, points out to where, where the bathrooms are and the kitchen is. And uh, I, I when that scene first came, I questioned myself whether or not was was this the first time bathrooms are mentioned on the TARDIS. But actually, it's not. It, um, it goes back to a, a Tom Baker story or maybe goes back even further. But I, I know uh, in this week's Doctor Doctor. To confidential, they showed a clip from I think it was Invasion of Time where um, it's, it's the fourth Doctor and they're sort of you know running through the hallways of the of the TARDIS and um, he points out to where the bathrooms are. I think or they, yeah. there was a mention of it at least. Well, in, in that episode, the bathrooms were actually a swimming pool because we actually see Leela swimming, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there's a you actually see the swimming pool there. So, what else uh, did you think about it? Um, one time I was just thinking, like, when you say about um, Rory, like, still having the water, um, like, still drowning, maybe the thing was that like, the doctor didn't know how to get the water out of Rory's lungs, and maybe it's still there. Well, the thing, I mean, technically, he he was speaking before when he was, uh, you would think that if he was still had water in the lungs, yeah. he wouldn't be able to carry out a conversation. So, uh, again, this is us kind of nitpicking, but. Yeah. So, um, oh, I'm sorry. Closest. Overall, what did you think? How would you rate it as far as Tardis groans? Um, I think I'd give it a four out of five Tardis groans. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, thank you once again, and uh, one of these days we'll yeah. we'll thank you by name. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you can work out the clues, in fact, might get for you some more. Oh. All right. This well. is not very good with clues. He's got his eye patch on. <laughs> <laughs> See you, bye. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. I'm sure Kobe has probably managed to get send you an email by now. I don't know. And we've got yeah. room for other people to call in. If you can manage, you can either use Skype out if you use that, 
especially if you're new in the States and you have a calling-in plan, it's cheaper. If you're in the UK and you use Skype out, it costs about two cents a minute to call in, and you call in on 724-444-7444, although I think in the UK you actually have to use a prefix to that. Okay, I, I got Kobe. He's going to be a, a Kobo, rather, 474. Hello, you're on the show. Yep. Sorry hey, for Lewis. the. Hey, how you doing? Sorry for the wait there. I... Hello. That's cool. Hey. So, uh, what did you think of the oh, yeah. Curse of the Black Spot? I thought the episode was fun, but it left a lot to be desired, as far as a Doctor Who story goes. It didn't feel very Doctor Who to me, at least. <laughs> Was that was that because there was a sudden switch away from the first opening two-parter, or just in general? Just in general, I think it just didn't feel. It just it didn't have the elements that you were looking for. It, it was described as a romp. Uh, I mean, you shouldn't have to watch Confidential to understand the story, but. If you, if you did catch the confidential, they did decide that uh, I think when they'd looked at the episodes for this season, there are quite a lot of dark and quite intense stories. And this, I think, was probably seen as a, a counterpoint to that and being, um, oh, <laughs> had people dying all over the place. I don't suppose you can call it up. In fact, dying seems to be the theme of this year's series, but never mind. Also, anyway. was this the episode that was moved forward from the latter half? to kind of break up the uh, the first uh, half of this series? I had heard that. Uh, I heard that mentioned somewhere along the line. Because Mark Gatiss' story got moved to the second half, and Neil Gaiman's was supposed to be third, but it got moved to fourth. Yeah, there was too much inside uh, stories and not enough outside stories. We're trying to balance out the two halves, right. I think. Yeah. And, of course, since we don't know what's coming yet, we've got to assume that they made a, a good decision on that. Yeah, we are getting some feedback somewhere. Yeah, co Kobo's, um, we're getting, like, a, it sounds like a, a drilling sound, a, a buzzing. It's when they're not talking, I think. It's probably hunting for the sound. Any more comments? Are you, are you still there? We may have to mute you if you don't speak up. Yeah, we're, we're not hearing you. I don't know if we lost a connection. We're, we're just getting like a buzzing sound. All right, well, we, we apologize. Obviously, there was some sort of technical problem there. Yeah, if, if you get muted and uh, you sort your, your end out, you could perhaps always put yourself back, back in the queue. Back in the queue, yeah. So thank you again for calling. I'm sorry for the technical snafu there. All right. Well, we should make a, you know, I think we made a point of it as well, that this one takes a very different tone and direction from the previous two episodes. So I, I think there is a switch there that, that the audience needs to kind of go through. And like I said, I enjoyed it. Maybe maybe because of that, I enjoyed it the, sec the better, better the second time around. All right. We're going to get uh, Darth Skeptical on board. Hello, Darth. Hello, Lewis. How are you? Good afternoon. Well, for you, good evening. No. Good morning. <laughs> Whatever well, it is, good day to you. <laughs> good day indeed. Yeah, you know, I, I think I'm going to disagree with you and Dave on what happens when you rewatch this thing. Uh, I actually quite enjoyed it the first time through and, and thought it was a perfectly fine, as we've said, romp. Uh, and in the first, I, I was sort of blown away a little bit by uh, Matt Smith because he's he's getting into territory that I quite like. I mean, the sort of light comic touch, the sort of goofiness that makes sense. Um, as Dave pointed out, you know, he's making errors throughout and sort of trying to recover from making errors with his line of thought. I, I liked all that stuff. Um, and indeed, for me, the story... It, reminds me a lot of Creature from the Pit. You know, a lot of people just really don't like Creature from the Pit. They think of it as a weak story and as one of the, you know, reasons why maybe Graham Williams wasn't a great producer of Doctor Who. But the thing about Creature from the Pit is that it's eminently quotable in terms of 
uh, Tom Baker's lines. I think that some of the best lines that Tom Baker ever had were from Creature from the Pit. Um, and I kind of feel that way about this episode, that there are really some great lines that uh, that Matt Smith gets here. Um, but the story... I'm not going to be as forgiving as, as you guys were, and I'm not going to give it a pass on, in terms of artistic license. It is fundamentally dangerous to show CPR being performed in an incorrect way, especially on to kids. And the thing that bugs me about the CPR scene is that we've had a perfectly fine example of CPR in Smith & Jones. So it's not that this series has to get it wrong. And so I don't think it should be given a, a pass. If this were the first time that we've seen CPR, maybe. But um, since this is now the second time we've seen CPR, and we had a better example of at least closing the damn nasal airway, uh, then I, I, I just think we have to say this is, you know, one of Dr. Hughes' mandates is to be educational to kids, and this sends a really bad signal. So we can't let it off the hook on that score. I think also there are a number of areas of um, you know Amy does look hot in the pirate outfit but how in the world does she pick up a cutlass and in any way creditably have a fight even though we know you know the guys are not putting up the best fight that they could they're not even necessarily using swords themselves but still she has some serious swoosh going on, and I don't know where in the world she would have gotten that skill from. Likewise, there's the scene in, uh, a little bit later on in the storm, and, you know, I mean, I'm around boats quite a bit, and there are some replica boats that are in Honolulu Harbor. You can't just get onto, like, a windjammer and immediately know, oh, Yes, I got to pull this rope right here, and it will have this action on this particular sail. It doesn't work like that. And so, the the scene where Avery is, you know, saying, "Oh, get to the sails, you, you dogs, and do it." It's like, no, that doesn't even make any sense. Well, no, it could mean that somebody could get knocked overboard. Hang on a minute, I, he did. Well, you said that, you know, and I've heard that objection before. But the the problem with that scene of the the boom coming around and and pushing uh, Rory into the water is that it's not photographed right. Uh, in the initial scene where he's sort of calling out to Avery and saying, well, "What do I do?" and Avery's not really giving him any specific instructions, he's to the right of the boom. But when he gets pushed into the water, he's to the left of the boom, and so yeah. it, it it doesn't. I think that's sense. to hide the stuntman's face. That's the reason for it. But oh, you're right. Sure it, could have, it, could have, it. it could have been done better. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I, it might be called nitpicky, but I don't. I don't think it's nitpicky at all to demand a, a logic within the episode itself. I'm not saying you know science should be great. I'm not saying everything has to be perfect. Uh, as you said, you know, to perform CPR on somebody correctly might well involve breaking some of their ribs, and you don't want to do that to an actor, but you can fake it. And then certainly, I think that Freeman Adjaman fakes it pretty well in uh, Smith & Jones in a way that we don't have Amy doing here. The other thing is just like... But, like well, she was, said, a trained, she was a, a trained medical professional where um, Amy is not, so I don't know. Amy's not, but Rory is, and Rory would have told her how to do it. Rory would have said, put your fingers over my nose. I mean, that's that is job number. If you're doing nothing else, you have to at least do that. So I just I don't I don't buy that. Well, and like at, by know, this point I, though, I, I didn't buy that he was still drowning anyway. So it it, it seemed incon inconsequential that the CPR wasn't right because it didn't seem like right that he was to be you know he would be drowning anyway because there's no water in, in his lungs anyway. Well. There again, aren't the latest uh, versions of performing CPRs cutting out the uh, the breathing parts anyway? 
If well, I they didn't cover the nose, did they? That was another thing you mentioned, Art, I believe. I, I don't... I don't. How could they? I mean, it's called CPR, pulmonary resuscitation. Um, uh, they've reduced it. They've changed the, re- the, you know, the ratio right, of compression yes. to breaths all the time. But, you know, fundamental to CPR is you've got to take at least one or two breaths every you know, X amount of compressions and you can fill in the blanks depending on your local area and what, you know, way the wind is blowing with your local medical professionals. But still, fundamental is close the nasal air passage, straighten out the, the, you know, the whole trachea, just do it right. Do it so that it looks right. I mean, it well, also, as I said, they, right. if he was really dying, they wouldn't waste time dragging him into the TARDIS. They would just well, do it right and then I there. I completely agree with you there, too. But I, I'm not prepared, I think, like you, to just say, well, artistic license, they had to get him into the TARDIS. Ah, please. I mean, they should have... There should have been water. Well, it brings you. It does bring you out of the story a bit. I mean, it does for me. You know, it's it's just you know just stuff like that kind of brings you out. Oh, it does me too. It completely did me too. This was just Um, another excuse to kill Rory. Kind of. You know, there's that. Um, There's also the question, and it it may have an interesting answer, especially in light of um, the doctor's wife. why is the TARDIS taken to this hospital? Um, it doesn't immediately make any sense unless you say, well, sentient being, maybe the TARDIS is sick. Mm. Um, and, and you know, hopefully something will will come of that, because if not, that's just another gaping plot hole, and I, I don't understand that. The other area of I, I guess we'll have to check if there's a black spot on the TARDIS. <laughs> I guess we will. <laughs> Um, but, you know, the other area of competence that doesn't make that much sense is, uh, you know, <laughs> Captain Avery. Let's put him in charge of a sophisticated spaceship from many centuries in his future and paper over it with the line, uh, well, you know, one ship looks like another. Cruise control. Really. You know, where? how is this guy going to land? I mean, I buy that he understands the wheel. I mean, that wheel to control steering... You know, it's the same today as it has been for hundreds of years. And so, yeah, you understand that concept. But how is he going to dock it? Where are they going to go? Are they just going to be in space ad nauseum until they die on the ship? Maybe they'll do it the way they did it on Galaxy Quest, (laughs) where the actors figured out how to pilot the ship. Maybe just like the medical program, there's a manual that, and there's someone that would materialize and teach them how to operate the... You know, yeah, you know. <laughs> maybe, but I mean, that, well, that the ship will have a failsafe that they can't do anything really wrong. That sort of took me out of it because, you know, again, yeah. it's just. I mean, I know it's supposed to be sort of a happy ending, second star to the right kind of moment, but it's just so weird. It's so unbelievable, you know. If there was at least, yeah, I don't know, one of those living stones of blood creatures uh, that had died. If one of them was alive to sort of form an alliance and help them out with how to pilot their own ship, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But that just was, I think, kind of silly. Um, so for me, I think at the end of the day, the episode is good because of the performances. And I really do like the way that Stephen Thompson is writing the Doctor. Um, and lots of quotable lines, lots of neat stuff going on. But honestly, the story is <laughs> so silly. And, and even if you filled in all the potholes, it would still be dumb, I think. So not very enjoyable overall for me. Not, certainly not long-term rewatch value or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, breath of fresh air, as we've said, you know, between two relatively more serious, relatively more substantial episodes. And it might have proven, you know, quite a good thing for, uh, you know, kids who are really just into adventure and kids who like Doctor Who, but not on a very um, intellectual level. Sort of a tip the hat to the, the Pirates of the Caribbean sort of. Yeah, and and that's clever. I mean, what is interesting about Stephen Moffat is that we have here in in this episode, just as we sort of had in The Lodger, some thought about 
put enough episodes in terms of what other kinds of entertainment are happening in the real world. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of an interesting thing, and it might have gained uh, a few more viewers. And, in fact, it did, didn't it, really? I mean, the, this episode was higher rated than Day of the Moon, um, both uh, in terms of the overnights and I think in terms of the final numbers, too. It got a significantly higher viewership. Hmm. Yeah. I'm it, sure it also went out slightly later. That's true. It went out slightly later, but I'm sure some of that was on the back of just the concept, which is a cool concept, the Doctor and Pirates. I mean, you say that, that's going to bring in some people just because of the renewed popularity of Pirates. I just wish it had been a story that had made a lot more sense than what it did. So uh, how would you rate it then in Tardis Groans? No, I don't know. Uh, you know, acting, surely a five. I did really like, again, that, that kid. I, I do think Andy Pryor, the casting director, has an incredible uh, eye for well kids. Well done, Andy um, Pryor, thank you. Yeah, just just amazing. There's a, one kid in his entire tenure who's been slightly duff, I think. Just great, great casting of kids. Um, so, you know, the acting, I think, is a five. I think probably the plot is probably two um, together. I don't know what that makes it. Three and a half, four. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 not a four. All right, so uh, three. We've three-ish. Three-ish. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Darth, for running a thank little you. late. So, I appreciate your comments as always. Thank you very much, sir. All right. So, hopefully, you'll join us on our next show, and which will be starting shortly. Hopefully. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. We're going to wrap up this show and give our TARDIS groans in a moment. I just want to remind everyone about Audible, which is a premier provider of digital audiobooks. They have over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre, including science fiction and fantasy and uh, maybe pirates as well. I'm sure there's probably some pirate adventure uh, books there that you can find. Uh, check them out. Uh, for listeners of Dr. Who Podshock, they're giving a free audio book. If you go to audibletrial.com slash podshock, you can get your free audio book, and that's yours to keep. And with that, you get um, that's that's a free audio book with a free 14-day trial, so you have a chance to check out their service. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock. And when you go there, you can check out their selections. They have lots of Doctor Who selections, but you're not limited to just that. You can choose anything that you like that they have to offer. So um, so check them out. And we have, um, we're have we going to try to get our, um, Kobo 4747 back on. We, we, we lost his audio before. Let's see if we can hear him now. Hello. Hi, how you doing? We, we kind of hey, lost oh, you before. Yeah, what I was saying before was it just didn't really feel like a traditional Doctor Who episode, which I can see why they did it in light of Pirates of the Caribbean coming out, but it just felt like a service to the loyal Doctor Who fans, and it just didn't really feel right to me. Mm-hmm. So... I'm sorry, go ahead, Dave. This is a a long-time viewer of Doctor Who, or or a newer viewer. I've I've been in since the beginning of the Russell T. Davis era. Oh, good. So how how would you rate it then? I I know, obviously, you were disappointed with it, so uh, out of of five TARDIS groans, how many TARDIS groans would you give it? Like a 2.5 out of five. All right. Okay. So that's actually more generous than I thought you were going to give. <laughs> like, Darth Skeptical said, the acting really saved it for me. I mean, everybody did a killer job, as always. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a bad actor on the show, and the kid was great. Yeah, he did a good job. Um, Oscar Lloyd again is, is the actor's name for that for him. And the siren was great. Oh yeah. Yeah, she. She was. She, again, very done very well. So it, it I, would go a week without trying to kill one of the principal characters. I mean, <laughs> that was getting ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I think some of that's due to the fact of the reordering of the episodes. But, I don't think. 
you know, intending to die every every week. Um, Taurus, we're just getting a bit of background noise from you. That could be. Yeah, that's a, we, we had muted you before just because it was. Anyways, but uh, we're we're gonna wrap things up here. But thank you again, once again, Kobo, for your comments. All right, no problem, Lewis. All right, so we're going to be back uh, shortly with our next show, which is reviewing The Doctor's Wife. So if you're still listening, you can chime in on that as well. Cool. Okay, cheers. Cheers. All right, well, I'm going to um, give this episode, as far as uh, The Curse of the Black Spot goes, I thought it was lighthearted, fun, uh, not, as satisfying, not as satisfying as the previous two episodes, uh, it's obviously, it's taking a different direction of that. So uh, I'm giving it a three out of five Tardis groans. Um, like I said, I enjoyed it the second time around, maybe uh, because, uh, again, maybe I just had my expectations more geared to what it was. And not that I really had that different expectations. I really try to keep myself as blank as possible going into these things. But but that's that's so it that's how it is I, I i think i was a little disappointed at first but then on the second time around i just kind of accepted it as a fun lighthearted episode terrace uh, uh, Tra- terrace doesn't give tardis groans I, I know I, I i just realized that i forgot <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long hasn't it it's been a while it's good to have you back on and uh dave your final um well, I thought it was nice. It was nice to watch an episode where your head didn't hurt at the end of it. <laughs> so uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, um, a four. There were some. I think it was a little bit of a pity that um, that one thing about the boat slain uh, not being at least, if it was intentional not to show him disappearing, to be referenced in the dialogue somewhere. Uh, but other than that, uh, it, it worked really well. And I think uh, Amy. Uh, Karen Gillum uh, turned in a very good performance on this. Uh, I'm warming to her. I, 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 I always feel as though last season she had a bit of a pan face, if you know what I mean. And I don't mean ugly. I mean uh, like a pan actor, you know, pan like a comedian who keeps pan face, straight face. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, she's showing more expression and uh, certainly reacting better. And Rory's always watchable. And the Doctor seemed to have all the funny lines in this one. So a good four out of five, certainly. All right, very good. Well, that's going to wrap things up for our review. So until uh, next time, which is going to be right after this episode, we'll say so long and see you uh, in Dr. Kupanchak 246. Cheers. 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 You've been listening to Doctor Who Parchak, presented by the fanrun Gallifrenemacy.org, Doctor Who's owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Parchak is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and is presented to you by the Gallifrenemacy and has been made possible in part by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. Doctor Who Parchak theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. Excellent pirate. I thought you were an excellent nurse. Easy, tiger. Good night, doctor. Good night, Amelia. You only call me Amelia when you're worrying about me. I always worry about you.